You're tuned in to WERU Community Radio 89.9 in Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. And this is Community Wellness Watch, a program about public health. My name is Emma Weiss, WERU intern and your host for the next hour. Special thanks to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. You may have heard our brief Community Wellness Watch announcements throughout the summer, and we are so excited to bring you our first full-length program for this project. Each month, I'll be sitting down with healthcare providers to talk about how they've adjusted their practices throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and how they continue to keep our communities healthy and safe. This is not meant to serve as professional medical advice, but rather we hope to inform listeners of healthcare resources in the area and give a huge thank you to these providers for their very important work. Today, we'll be talking about senior care. It is my absolute pleasure to have with me today three local providers who have been serving elderly populations throughout the pandemic. First, we have with us Ann Schroth, who is the co-director and healthy aging program coordinator at Healthy Peninsula in Blue Hill. And thank you so much for being here with us today. We also have with us Renee Coulson-Hudson, who is the executive director of Healthy Island Project in Deer Isle, Stonington, to talk with us about their age-friendly island programs. Thank you, Renee. We're so glad to have you with us. Really joy to be with you today, Emma. And finally, we have with us Joe Cooper, who is the Executive Director of Friends in Action in Ellsworth. Thank you for being here, Joe. Thank you for having me. To start things off this morning, and I would love to hear from all of you, but maybe we can start with Anne. Can you tell me about your organization and about the services that you provide to seniors? Sure. Uh, so Healthy Peninsula is a small community health organization. We're located in Blue Hill. Uh, but we serve the uh, nine towns of the Blue Hill Peninsula and Deer Isle Stonington. We were founded in 2001 as a Healthy Maine partnership. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. We have three focused initiatives, healthy aging, healthy eating, and uh, early childhood or healthy families. And we, in all of those initiatives, we have sort of a unique role where we provide direct services, but we also serve as a uh, sort of community convening organization where we engage other community organizations and partners in uh, community planning and collaborating to make sure we can extend resources and services as widely as possible and partner and create new things with partners when possible. So our direct services include things like the Magic Food Bus, which many people have heard of, which is a traveling farm stand and uh, library that goes all over the peninsula and on Deer Isle. Um, Healthy Island Project is one of our partners on the island, and we have other volunteers who help us get fresh local food out to uh, folks, many of whom are older, but also families during the growing season. We also, before COVID, did lunch and learn cooking and nutrition programs for older folks uh, around the peninsula. We do the Simmering Pot food delivery program, partnering with the Simmering Pot organization. We coordinate delivery of about 130 quarts of soup to different um, families and individuals around the Uh, Peninsula and the island on Monday afternoons. This was an in-person meal that happened in Blue Hill before the pandemic, but um, has morphed into a delivery model um, since the pandemic. And we also provide a lot of resource information to individuals and families and caregivers and providers on uh, resources and services for older people throughout the area. And then finally, I'll just say we coordinate um, age-friendly coastal communities, which is sort of the umbrella of our 
um, healthy aging work. And it's a, 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 a designation affiliated with AARP and the World Health Organization that where each town has independently joined this network of age-friendly towns and communities and committed to working together to making their community um, supportive places for people to grow old and age at home and in their communities. Next, here's Renee from Healthy Island Project. So Healthy Island Project was founded 30 years ago by Dr. Dan Reese of the Island Family Medicine. And they started out small from what I can gather, uh, doing some small projects focused on enhancing community health. Um, our big mission is very broad. We focus specifically on the Deer Isle Stonington community, but we work independently and in partnership with local and other regional organizations to develop and launch community projects that um, enhance and improve the broad health of the community here on the island. Our five focus areas that we work under are age-friendly islands, so that's where we do a lot of our most of our targeted senior um, work is focused. Um, we also have an area called Active Island, Community Engaged Island, Edible Island, and a Mindful Island. So we have a kind of a broad way that we try to enhance the health and well-being of our island community. In the age-friendly island work in particular, kind of our, our real central program is called Salt Air Seniors. And that was started 25 years ago as a widow and widowers group, and that it kind of became more broad to become a social program for seniors um, overall. And with that, we have a phenomenal facilitator, uh, Barrett Gray, who's a, a local business owner here, who's, who was born and raised here on the island and has a a real love for, for our island seniors and older folks. Um, and Salt Air Seniors is an in-person program that started with a, a meal and we would do a lot of fun things. We'd hear from local, local folks here on the island um, that would share with us about their work or maybe, you know, one time we've, we've had Elvis come, we would take picnics at the Bridge End Park and have uh, lobster rolls. We've had lobster dinners. We do all kinds of really fun things, including like taking boat rides on the Idaho Ferry or mail boat. Um, so we do a lot of things to just keep people engaged and having fun together. And then out of that, we started having game nights once a month. We coordinate the senior food boxes as well for the island through Friends in Action, initially, we start, had a Coffee with Friends program, um, and I continued that on um, until COVID made us stop. Um, we've also had exercise programs for seniors. So we do a lot of work around, around uh, just kind of help our seniors have Im improved their lives so they can continue to thrive and um, be engaged socially and see what other kinds of needs they might have. And we try to help resource with them for that. COVID changed a lot of things for us. Obviously we weren't able to meet in person any longer. So we started a new program that replaced our Salter Seniors program. And that's called the Hip Lunchbox. And that's a delivered meal that um, we do 
so at first we started out twice a week and to 53 people. And uh, then we switched to once a week, but that started reaching 122 people by the time we, um, we kind of took a hiatus in June. We're starting that back up in September. So that's been a really incredible, incredible program because it helped so much with social isolation, which is a, a real concern of ours for our seniors, especially during this time of COVID. Um, Help, HIP as a whole does a lot of other community work, but one of the, the big things we try to do is we really try to, with everything we do, bring joy to people's lives and also to bring connections and resources uh, where, they're, where they're needed. So it's been a joy to be able to work with Anne Schroth and Joe Cooper, both who are with us today um, through their organizations and so many other people as we, we try to work together to uh, just kind of raise the, the level of, of enjoyment of our, our seniors as they continue to hopefully thrive in place in their homes and in our community. Thank you, Renee. And here's Joe from Friends in Action. Hi there. I'm Joe Cooper and I uh, am one of the founding, well, I am the founding director of Friends in Action, but it's based on a program that was developed through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And the idea is to develop community partnerships and um, offer services at no charge, one-on-one services through volunteers. And that's how we started. Um, Our major um, service that we still continue to offer is transportation. We offer that to older people, people who are living with disabilities, who are with that we're able to help. Um, we have a whole process to get that set up with people and the volunteers. Um, we have over a hundred volunteers around the County. We serve Hancock County and some of the neighboring um, towns as well, um, depending on the volunteer availability. We also offer things like friendly visits or telephone reassurance. We've done a lot more with food delivery since COVID, um, grocery shopping, helping with food pantries, delivering food meal pro meals for free meal programs and pharmacy deliveries. We build ramps. We help people with simple home repairs. And we do a lot of sort of, uh, it depends on the individual, might help with a garden, might do little things like that, small little chores that volunteers might be able to help with. Um, so we also address the issues of um, isolation. So we have since about 2008 been offering a social a coffee. We call it a coffee house and with that it expanded. Um, we're still doing it since we were able to reopen this summer. Just coffee refreshments, an opportunity to get together and um, have conversation, make new friends. And we also offer transportation for that. And we have developed um, a number of other programs in our senior center, um, including fitness programs, classes, art classes, uh, resource information, panel discussions, um, information on um, housing and all kinds of things. So that's sort of what we do. Joe, how did you first get involved with providing senior care? What brought you to this line of work and then to Friends in Action? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, I think probably my I had a great relationship with my grandmother. That's so sweet. And she was an amazing person who loved to tell stories. Um, and so I've always 
you know, I think for myself, been interested in people's stories and the fact that it doesn't matter what age you are, you're still a real, still a human being and have a lot to give to the community. So I became actually, I had a, a friend who who died alone and I, an elderly friend, so I became a hospice volunteer and that, that volunteer experience was very uh, meaningful to me, but it also made me realize the need for community support. So I was very interested in looking at ways that we could make that easy and possible. People resist asking for help. And there's a lot of, um, of course, with hospice, I was frustrated because there's a lot of superstition. (laughs) And so, you know, if you call in hospice, you're a goner. (laughs) So that was really frustrating to me. And I thought if we could just have a community program that would have volunteers that you got to know, um, it would be easier. And that has happened a few times. So that's where I came from. It was just an, you know, an interest in people. That's really wonderful. And from Healthy Peninsula, what about you? Well, I had uh, somewhat of a circuitous path to Healthy Peninsula. I'm a lawyer by training, and I've been a legal services lawyer and a, a clinical law teacher. Um, and most recently, I was working at the University of Michigan focused on a project involving health and the social determinants of health. So the connection between people's legal rights and their health, like um, healthy housing and whether you need help with housing conditions or domestic violence and how that impacts your overall health and well-being. And I moved back to Maine where I grew up to live with my own mother, who's now 94. And the job was available at Healthy Peninsula to start a three-year project called Thriving in Place, uh, focused on social determinants of health and older people and how to improve uh, people's, um, uh, the sort of social safety nets to help people live at their homes, age in their homes and communities where everybody wants to age, uh, but they don't always have the resources and supports that they need. So Thriving in Place was really my introduction to working with older people and I didn't have any experience with uh, it necessarily, but with the, the community that we, it was designed around collaboration. And so I immediately started working with people like Joe Cooper and Renee and other community organizations that serve our area. And um, it's been an amazing experience to apply what I already was doing to this community um, and help create systems that will help um, the community that we live in and where we all are aging be a more supportive place for everyone to live as they age. Beautiful. And finally, Renee from Healthy Island Project. So I, like Joe, had a great relationship with my both of my grandmothers. Um, but I was, as a kid, I was raised uh, as I was a pastor's kid. And so I was in the church surrounded by older people my whole life growing up. And then I actually became a pastor myself after, and I guess it was 1996. And so as a pastor, I always had older folks, obviously, in in my church and just uh, loved people and and grew to really love them. And after I I left local church ministry, I was a nursing home chaplain for five years. And that's where I think it really, my heart just swelled for the older folks that I, I worked with and you know, I, I kind of companioned them in their last days and months um, and years of life. And um, it was a, 
a really rich experience for me. Wow, I can imagine. And then I moved up to Deer Isle in 2016, and I was encouraged to um, apply for the Healthy Island Project director position that was coming open. It was a pretty small part-time job at the time, um, but it was really intriguing to me. And when I realized that there was uh, this opportunity to kind of grow programming, especially around um, for older folks, it, I was really interested. And that's at that moment, it was uh, Barrett Gray, who was uh, part of the, the the process of actually interviewing me, said he was really interested in, in seeing about growing the Salt Air Senior Program. And I immediately knew that was something I wanted to be involved with and that we could do something together. And it's it's been more than I could have ever expected in terms of how um, how we've been able to both grow that program and just you know really become a, a vital part of our community life here. Thank you, Renee. And before we shift towards talking about uh, specifically COVID-19 in this past year, um, for those of you who are just tuning in, this is WERU Community Radio, 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. My name is Emma Weiss, and this is Community Wellness Watch. Today, we're talking about senior care with Ann Schroth from Healthy Peninsula, Renee Colson-Hudson from Healthy Island Project, and Joe Cooper from Friends in Action. Now, back in March of 2020, can you let our listeners know about how your organization first responded to the pandemic? What were the first changes that you made to your practice serving an elderly population who are more at risk for severe infection and for COVID-19-related complications? Well, I can start. This is Joe Cooper from Friends in Action. It was definitely, um, I'd been watching this it coming and... Uh, and for that week or so before the emergency orders to close down, I pretty much knew what we would have to do, which was to close the senior center, which and to keep everyone safe, which we did. We um, we didn't do any in person with the with the senior center so much, but with what happened to us was the first month was pretty terrifying. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in terms of how we were going to get on, we're a small local nonprofit. We don't have any fees for our services. We rely on donations. And the day after day, um, I kept coming into the office. I had all the, I had, all, I have a very small part-time staff and they were remote, but we um, had nothing in the mailbox. And I really had no idea how we would go forth. Um, as far as our, our conducting business, I was already familiar with Zoom, so that was easy. But with our other services, what happened was we began um, delivering groceries, doing grocery shopping for people, working pretty closely with the um, sheriff's department and the county and a lot of emergency management because there was so much concern in that, those first few months for people to just get food. Most people stopped our, our transportation program, which we generally do about 8,000 rides a year with um, about 100 and some odd volunteers, went down to maybe uh, less than a quarter wow. of what we would normally do in a, in a month um, or a week. But we um, continued. We had some pretty devoted volunteers who continued to do the rides that were requested um, we have dialysis patients and so forth. So we continued doing that. And as time went on, we developed 
protocols um, and learn as everybody learned more about how to um, be safe. But I would say the biggest change was that we had to uh, immediately figure out and respond to what people really, really needed. And I think the concern for a lot of people, I know for both Renee and Anne, who are involved in delivering and making sure people um, get what they need, particularly food, that was, I think, the first concern. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with what Joe just said. Here's Renee from Healthy Island Project. And as we all kind of watched COVID sweep the country and we waited until that first case kind of hit Maine, we started talking about how, what, we, what we might do. And it was one of those moments with uh, us at Healthy Island Project where both Barrett and I independently started thinking, I wonder if we can offer a meal delivered to our seniors. And we kind of talked, I said, what do you think? And he said, I was going to say the exact same thing. It was one of those moments where you knew you were, that it was what we were kind of meant to do. And that actually was um, in early March, prior to the first case actually ever hitting Maine. Um, But as soon as things started rapidly changing, we had our last South Air Senior in-person meeting the first Tuesday or first Thursday of March of 2020. And by the next Thursday, we had uh, decided that we were going to have to, you know, cancel all of our in-person programming. I had to cancel a big event we had for that Saturday, which was Men Who Cook. That was going to be a community-wide event. And by the following Thursday, March 19th, we, we were able to figure out protocols. We had no guidance on any of this. We had to figure it all out. Everybody, everybody that was doing, you know, any kind of programming in those early days, we we just had to figure out the safest way to do what we were going to do. So we, you know, we asked a lot of experts around protocol, around delivery, and how we could keep our delivery our delivery folks safe, how we could keep our our seniors safest, and we worked out a model that um, pretty much was the model we stayed with for a year and a half. So by March nineteenth, we immediately started, you know, serving lunchbox meals delivered to people. Barrett was amazing in corralling this group of incredible, incredible volunteers. Um, we figured out the best packaging for doing this, the, the best way that, you know, people, we could coordinate the drivers coming at staggered times to pick them up and, and geographically, you know, deliver to people in groups geographically. Our drivers um, they also kind of assumed responsibility in a lot of ways for, for the folks that they have been delivering to. And so they would make a friendly call before they came every week. And so that was a touchstone for people. Then they would um, you know, deliver the meal, which also included artwork for, for from uh, local children and students. And there were a lot of baked goods in it uh, that local volunteers um, baked from local churches and, and just individuals in the community. The meal itself was about it was over two full meals in terms of its nutritional density. So people were able to get quite a bit of food out of that. It just became this amazing connection, a a spot of hope for people and new friendships developed along the way, which was, I think one of the things that was one of those silver linings that we, that we saw 
But, you know, we're also able to use this network that we develop to really get information directly to seniors right away. So if there was, you know, COVID information, resources that they needed, you know, we, could, we could deliver masks to people, we could deliver hand sanitizer, you know, we have this, this in place right away. So we were able to really help meet needs in a lot of ways. It was, it was amazing. I, quite frankly, it was, it was a very energizing time, um, even though it was a pretty scary time for a lot of people. You know, like Joe said, it was kind of frightening, you know, financially wondering how you're going to, how you're going to survive what, with what you do. And, you know, we did ask people for a donation if they could make one. Um, but this community as a whole just started, started supporting it. And it was really, it was such a heartening thing. Everybody felt like we were kind of, we really truly were, you know, working on this together to solve a, a very serious issue, do something in the midst of such helplessness. Anne from Healthy Peninsula has a similar story to Renee and Joe. At Healthy Peninsula, we, especially in our healthy aging work, we had been involved in a very complicated community paramedicine project with the Northern Light Blue Hill Hospital clinics and the EMT, EMS providers in Blue Hill and on the island uh, and in Castine. And that was a, a grant-funded project that involves folks getting uh, referrals from their primary care doctor and having a community paramedicine worker and EMT worker go to their house for non-emergency health care. So, of course, that came to a screeching halt as soon as COVID started. We had some other um, projects going on at the time, but, it, but a lot of what we did, a lot of what we do is community convening work. And a lot of that had to stop because there was this immediate crisis. And so we really pivoted very quickly to more very specific COVID-focused work. So we had been meeting every other month, for example, with our age-friendly community, um, age-friendly coastal communities partners. And we switched that to a Zoom meeting that happened weekly for a while um, and then uh, stretched out a little more. And a lot of the providers just wanted to get together and talk about what everyone was doing and how they were responding and what their, you know, that was a good way to share information about a really quickly changing um, situation and a place to share some of the stresses that the providers were facing when they were trying to serve some really vulnerable populations. Um, and that ended up being a really great opportunity, both for getting information and sharing resources and trying to fill emergency gaps, but also getting some mutual support for each other while people were struggling in a stressful time. Um, we also put up on our website a uh, sort of COVID directory with with constantly changing resources, what stores were delivering, what stores had special hours for older people or people with immune suppressed systems, what restaurants were delivering, what the hours were, kind of trying to corral a lot of that, again, really quickly changing information. Um, we also had a, a, an incredible outpouring of volunteer support um, and set up kind of a pop-up volunteer grocery delivery um, program where we delivered groceries, we delivered prescriptions for folks who wanted to shelter at home. And that's when the Simmering Pot um, delivery project came up. Uh, Anna Wind, who's our healthy eating coordinator, uh, had the brainstorm um, because we heard that the Simmering Pot was closing. It was this beloved community meal that happened every Monday. And there were folks who relied on it for food security reasons. And um, so she got together different restaurants to volunteer 
the Northern Light Blue Hill Hospital kitchen for the first month of the program, single-handedly cooked every single Monday, and then some other kitchens came on board. Um, and now the Simmering Pot uh, cooking team cooks once a month or twice a month. St. Brendan's in Deer Isle, a volunteer church organization, they cook once a month. The co-op in Blue Hill has been cooking once a month for a while. The Parker Ridge Kitchen cooked uh, once a month um, until they had staffing shortages. Uh, Arbor Vine in Blue Hill cooked once, I think. Um, it's been an amazing outpouring of support to get people fed uh, once once a week. Uh, and throughout it all, Tinderhearth Bakery in Brooksville has donated their delicious bread, um, most mostly donated to go with the soup every week. So just want to shout out to them. So we did that and we've kept it up every week with volunteer drivers who come to Healthy Peninsula, pick up the soup and drive it all over uh, the peninsula and Deer Isle. We also set up a friendly caller program with uh, Sarah Pepworth, our local legislator, um, to call people who are over 70 or over 65 and uh, check in, offer resources, see uh, if they wanted to have a regular friendly caller. Um, and that was an amazing way. We uncovered some pretty scary resource needs actually um, with that. And some people and other, most people said, no, I don't need help, but thank you so much for calling and how can I help? Uh, which is a testament to our community. And then when the vaccinations came along, you know, it, it was, as you can imagine, a national vaccine movement is a pretty uh, chaotic system. And so um, it was all online at first. There wasn't even a phone call at first. It was very complicated and confusing for people who aren't digital and aren't online or don't have internet. And so we set up a volunteer system where we helped people get their, their vaccination appointments. And we had some volunteers and we just started signing people up for vaccines as quickly as possible. And we did that uh, pretty intensely until the crush of need sort of passed. We also took on the community supplemental food program that Renee was talking about on the island. We took that on for the Blue Hill Peninsula. Um, it's a partnership with Eastern Area Agency on Aging for low-income older people who get a, a monthly a delivery of shelf-stable food because it's clear that food uh, security is an issue in our area. And I just also want to say that um, our funders, the funding issue for a small nonprofit is really real, but our funders were incredibly generous. We are very much a grant-funded organization for, with foundation grants, and every single funder freed up all their grants and let us just spend the money on COVID response, um, which was incredible because we wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. And so we were able to keep going and, you know, we did get some extra donations because of our COVID work, but really the fact that our funders let us use the money for the immediate critical needs in the community was incredible. And that allowed us to keep going. One other thing I'd like to say, this is Renee from Healthy Island Projects. That happened that was really incredible was we had a local couple who came to us with an anonymous donation of $10,000 and asked us to use it to support both restaurants and our island seniors in Deer Isle, Stonington. And so we started something um, because we already had all the, all the, everything in, in place with our lunchbox program. We started what we called the hip supper club. And so for 15 weeks, five different restaurants, took three, three days each and they made a meal for 105, 120, something like that 
of our seniors, um, which we were able to deliver. We were able to to pay to pay the restaurants, which helped keep them afloat during the winter, which was a pretty difficult time around here, and also provide a, a wonderful restaurant meal to our seniors. So that was one of the really kind of cool things that also happened down here on the island that I wanted to make sure I mentioned as well. Thank you all so much for sharing those stories. It sounds like such a wonderful example of a community rallying to meet the needs of their neighbors. It's very heartening to hear that folks are so open and willing to help each other out in times of such uncertainty. And Anne, you talked about this a little bit, but I would be curious to hear from Joe and Renee about how the development and availability of the COVID vaccine affected your organization and your clients. The thing that happened to us pretty quickly when the vaccine challenges became apparent. This is Joe from Friends in Action. We um, helped with a program that we called Vaccine Buddies, which was to match volunteers with older people or anyone in the community of any age who was having difficulty um, figuring out how to uh, find a vaccine appointment to help. And we also provided transportation to get to them. Um, it's something we're continuing and uh, we're hoping to also help with um, this fall if this becomes another thing again. We're still concerned with vaccines, our, our stance on it. Uh, is that while we've continued to provide transportation, we um, have COVID protocols that include masks and, if possible, having the passengers sit in the rear passenger seat to increase distance. It's not always possible. And uh, also to manage, if possible, to find out if the, if the volunteer requires that the passenger be vaccinated, we will ask. And some volunteers don't want to drive someone who hasn't been vaccinated. And we leave, we really leave that up to them. I would say that's probably been more of an impact just recently. I will tell you, I don't quite know how it's going to work out now that we have the Delta thing variant happening. You know, people are definitely worried about it. I'm not sure. Uh, We're not going, there's no way that we have the capacity to police whether somebody's vaccinated or not, but the volunteer can decide whether they want to give someone a ride or not. Here's Renee from Healthy Island Project. Yeah, when the vaccine rollout first began, it was a very confusing and chaotic time. Nobody was certain how, nobody had done this before. You know, our health providers had never done this before on this kind of a scale. So, you know, we needed to have a lot of grace and patience at a time when people were also very, um, they were afraid and they were eager, very eager to be able to get the vaccine. So, you know, as we kind of figured out how to register people for the vaccine, which was primarily online. There wasn't actually a phone, a way of registering initially by phone. And as you can imagine, most of our older islanders aren't digitally proficient, shall we say. They don't have access to a computer. And, you know, the very first day that the vaccines became available to register, I had called one of our seniors that I knew had was online. She had a, had her iPad and she regularly uses it. And I said, why don't you see if you can get a vaccine? And she called me back and she was you know, struggling with the online form and said, can you help me? So that very first day, you know, I went right on and was able 
to realize how challenging it was for myself and what that people were going to de- need help. Um, I was able to get her, get her uh, an appointment that day, but you know, the system itself was challenging. So um, again, you know, Barrett and some other folks in the community really stepped up and helped to sign up people for vaccines. You know, we're, we're not quite as large of an area as, as Joe is dealing with. People knew to kind of call Healthy Island Project if they had a question or if they had a concern. And I think overall, we personally signed up maybe 50 of our islanders, but we really walked a lot of people through the process and we tried to make the information as available as we could um, through, you know, online and in different ways. You know, it, you felt like victorious when you got somebody an appointment at first. <laughs> and I remember, you know, people just were, you know, thanking me, thanking me when, you know, I would I'd go online at the exact time, you know, the, the new appointments opened and, you know, I would maybe get only one person uh, signed up that day. Um, but, you know, we had, you know, people out, out in the community who were working to do the same thing for others. And, um, you know, slowly and surely, obviously the system, the system caught up and everybody was obviously able to, to get vaccines and get them plentifully. We were able to have, you know, clinics right here on the Island eventually. Um, and so, you know, now obviously it's, it's much more about continuing to encourage people who, have have not yet gotten a vaccine to to please still get them. Um, we know that vaccines aren't like Teflon, but they do keep us all safer than we would be without. So you know that's kind of an ongoing situation that we have, not just for our older islanders, but for everybody. But we're obviously always concerned about the safety of our most vulnerable in our community. Um, so we're you know encouraging people as best we can to um, avail themselves of the medical expertise. And uh, I think we're incredibly, incredibly fortunate in our, our country, in our world today, that vaccines were able to be developed as rapidly as they were. And um, it's been, it, it, again, it was a pretty stressful, but also an exciting time to be able to, to help with that process and know that we were potentially really saving somebody's life. Absolutely. Thank you, Renee. I just want to take a few seconds to remind our listeners or for those of you who are just tuning in that you're listening to Community Wellness Watch on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. My name is Emma Weiss and I am the program's host. Today we're talking about senior care with Anne Schroth from Healthy Peninsula, Renee Colson-Hudson from Healthy Island Project, and Joe Cooper from Friends in Action. And Anne from Healthy Peninsula, starting with you, I'm curious to know what precautions and protocols put in place over the last year remain in place today, particularly with the presence of the Delta variant, which we talked about earlier. And what remains the biggest challenge for you and your organization as we deal with the fallout from COVID and the continued presence of the virus? Masking, washing your hands, socially distant protocols that we initially put in place, we have kept in place for some of our things like food delivery. We did, um, as people got vaccinated, loosen up some of the masking requirements. And also because of the season, we did, we continue to try to meet outside when possible. But with the Delta variant, we have reimposed some uh, most of our same uh, precautions, like wearing a mask in group meetings indoors. Um, following the recommendations of the CDC. And I think the virulence of the Delta variant can't be overstated um, and the way it's spreading quickly to 
including children who cannot yet be vaccinated. And so I think even if you're vaccinated and you get COVID and it's like a bad cold, there are plenty of folks, um, a lot of older folks uh, who cannot withstand a bad cold. So it's important to continue to uh, have a lot of the safety protocols that we had to use before. And I would say the biggest, one big challenge is pandemic fatigue. Absolutely. Um, I think people are tired and uh, people are angry in most directions. And it's becoming even, if it's possible to say, it's becoming even more of a politicized issue than it was before. It is, we're seeing some of that. People, a lot of our volunteers are discouraged that we are again having to mask outside when delivering soup. Um, although they recognize the need for it, um, they're discouraged about it. We are concerned about volunteers getting burned out maybe and getting tired. Um, we really try to provide support and care and uh, subs for them when they need it. The, the dedication of the people who continue to do things like deliver soup and that kind of thing is is uh, is incredible. So I would say those are some of the challenges we've been seeing. I would second what Anne said about the protocols. This is Renee from Healthy Island Project. You know, we've we've all kind of been following the the same protocols, which were you know masking and socially distancing use of washing, hand washing, use of sanitizer um, with all of our volunteers when they're delivering. Uh, and also, of course, it, during food preparation as well. We actually decided this summer for July and August that we would give our folks a break. We had a total of 80 volunteers over the last year and a half, and they were experiencing a little bit of fatigue. And we knew that if we were going to be able to start up again, you know, in September, people needed to have a little bit of a little bit of rest. So we haven't actually been holding our lunchbox for the last you know month and a half right now. Um, we were hoping and planning to resume in-person gatherings in September. We were going to have a lobster roll picnic at our Bridge End Park, and that is now not not going to happen in person, but will be our hip lunchbox meal. Um, delivered that that day instead so you know there's disappointment that we're all experiencing around you know not not being able to resume our in-person gatherings um but we know that safety of everybody is first and foremost and delta does feel like it's a new it's a whole new ball game when it comes to the pandemic again um so you know the, the what the challenge that ann talks about of the burnout and the pandemic fatigue, all of those things are, are very real. And I think we're all feeling a bit deflated by how we'll, we'll be resuming our lunchbox program in the fall. Um, you know, so we had hopes, you know, we all had hopes that we were going to be able to return to some level of nor normalcy. And uh, we really will we'll be pretty much like we were before that. That's definitely a challenge, but I also know that our drivers who you know deliver for us and everybody who's involved in every way they're also eager to get back to it again which is really nice and so we're not having to to deal with the the burnout probably the same way that some of the programs that have have not ceased since they started um people are looking forward to seeing their people again you know they, they kind of are like 
sheep and shepherds, you know, they're, they're, they care for their, they care for their people and they love their people. And, um, they're looking forward to, to resuming that again. So that's, that is a bit of a, a bright spot in all of it. We will be returning with, with, you know, stricter protocols in place. We did, we were able, once people started getting vaccinated to, you know, that they're outside, you know, they didn't have to mask. Um, but I believe we're going to be starting back with masks on again. Here's Joe Cooper from Friends in Action. I'm really concerned right now um, for the mental health of a lot of our clients that we're helping and also for our volunteers. So we've actually, we're starting a program in September with community health and counseling, sort of a resource program, primarily to start with to support our volunteers and help them um, ask questions for things that they might encounter it's just, I think, a very, very hard time for a lot of people. The isolation, the, good, the only good thing I can say about COVID in terms of isolation is that I hope it's taught the general public a little bit more what it's like to live alone and to be isolated at home. You know, how frustrating that can be. There was a lot of joy in our um, center when we were able to get together again. Uh, people are being very, very careful, but I think it's there's a lot of unknowns, and that does take a toll on everyone. So that's one thing that we're trying to address. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. And as you've all been talking about the challenges from the past year, I've heard you bring up a few of the brighter moments. And um, I'm curious if you could share with us any highlights or moments of resilience or triumphs from your clients or your staff throughout the past year that come to mind for you. Wow. There have been a lot, actually. This is Joe from Friends in Action. For us, and uh, I would say probably one of the, the joyful moments was our first coffee house when we reopened in July. You know, I think what it showed me, I mean, of course, people were so, so happy, but just the depth of joy was really amazing. Such a simple thing to just be able to sit down and, and talk to people. I would say that it pointed out to me um, a new appreciation of just very simple things, simple, small things that can make a big difference. And I'm trying to focus on those <laughs> as we go forward. Let's think about the positive. <laughs> I would agree. I think we've had a lot of moments of incredible resilience. Here's Anne from Healthy Peninsula. I mean, most of our volunteers who were who who just stepped up to deliver soup or make soup are themselves older people and um, at risk for higher risk for COVID. The connection made between the people delivering groceries or prescriptions or soup and the people receiving them are, you know, as Renee points out, are real connections and. And they hate to give them up. And so there's one when when the simmering pot was momentarily thinking about uh, when they could go back to in-person meals. And one of the delivery drivers was going to is usually working um, in the in the in-person at the in-person meal was conflicted because she didn't want to stop delivering people she usually delivers to because she would miss them too much. And um, one person who got soup decided she didn't need it anymore, but she didn't really want to cancel it because she enjoyed the visit so much that she had with her weekly delivery person. So they made a special time to meet, um, even though she wasn't going to be getting soup. And 
Um, so the people showed up every single week through snow, through construction, through everything and kept delivering sloshing, spilling soup all over the peninsula and in Deer Isle. And in Deer Isle, St. Brendan's folks, they deliver like 35 ports around the island. And the resilience and commitment and love of their neighbors is just inspiring. And so there have been many moments like that throughout this whole process. Here's Renee from Healthy Island Project. There's been so much joy in the midst of a very serious and stressful time because we've served served each other. And someone asked me if I had an antidote for pandemic fatigue, and I said, serve. Wow. Get involved some way, find a way to serve each other, to serve other people. And I would say that every single person who's volunteered with HIP in one way or another this past, you know, year and a half, they would agree with that. Um, they have, our volunteers get so much, they say they, they get more out of it than they ever could have imagined. And they don't want to stop doing it. They, some of them did resist stopping just even for July and August. Um, they understood why we did it and that it was for their, their health as much as anything else. Um, but they're ready to get back to it. But, you know, it's really been being able to see so many, even behind masks or, you know, we could see people behind their doors at home to see people smile. They're so grateful for the connection. They're so grateful for the, the food. They're so grateful for a community that like we have here on this Island. And I think we feel more connected than we've ever felt before. And that's a real gift in the midst of all of it um, to realize and appreciate community life and to appreciate your neighbors and to get, make new friends even along the way as a result of it. And, you know, for Healthy Island Project, I have to say that, you know, we grew fourfold in the last year and a half. So it was because we are, you know, programming just, it just increased so much. And the hip lunchbox, even when we are able one day to begin Salter Seniors in person, the hip lunchbox will continue because it's become such a vital thing. And we're reaching so many more people. By the end of June, we realized with Hip Lunchbox and our supper club, we had made and delivered 11,000 meals. And that's just in Deer Isle Stonington. So that's a, lot of, that's a lot of food to a lot of people. And, you know, involved, included in all of those were something else was like a drawing from a, a child or something um, that would brighten somebody's day, as well as obviously just the friendship that um, developed between the people who, who volunteered uh, to bring them their meal. So, you know, there have been a lot of really incredible stories along the way. And I actually also have the joy of uh, people do, you know, send in donations. And I, every single week when I would open up donations, I, there were notes and notes and notes of gratitude. Uh, people are just so incredibly, incredibly grateful for all that we've been able to do. And that just makes it all worthwhile. Those are all such wonderful stories. Thank you for sharing them. Well, we talked about this a little bit before, and while it's important to be cautious to still wear masks and continue to take other necessary COVID-related safety measures due to the Delta variant, this summer has been a huge time for folks to visit and reunite with loved ones, particularly older loved ones whom we haven't seen in, in many cases, over a year. I saw my grandparents, and I hadn't seen them in over a year, and that was just so special. And I've had conversations with folks who've experienced kind of a reckoning where they're realizing that their older loved ones 
uh, will need additional care soon, or perhaps they even need additional care now. Uh, So for listeners who want to seek out care for their older loved ones and don't know where to start or who to ask or maybe are just feeling overwhelmed, what advice or guidance can you offer them? Joe, let's start with you. One thing they can do, um, they can go either online or call uh, 211. 211 is a number that folks can call for non-emergency health care and human services and be connected with resources in their area. And depending on where they're uh, their person or their the people they're concerned about are located, um, and just uh, have ask for what's you know if they're looking for housing or they're looking for transportation, food, etc. That's a simple way to start. I think all of us have websites and phone numbers, and you'll make that available. I'm sure, but yes, that's absolutely. a good way. All the information will be in the show notes. Right. And that's a good way, though, to start. I mean, it's a simple way. I mean, it's hard because resource information is continually changing. Sometimes you can go to you know, your own towns um, and ask them where to start looking for resources for older people. Uh, the Agency on Aging is another one. Um, the one that covers this area is uh, Eastern Agency on Aging. So, you know, I think that uh, there's uh, many people that are very concerned about this issue now. The um, age-friendly communities, there's one in just about every town in Maine now. There are people in, connected usually with the town who are trying to improve the living uh, for uh, making the communities more livable for people of all ages. So I would say towns and 211 are a good place to start. This is Anshra. I was just going to say, first of all, about 211 is sometimes people think it's just a website, but um, they, you can also call um, if you have trouble navigating the search engine on the website, because sometimes it, it produces way too many options and that's just as confusing. But you can call and talk to someone. You can also text 211. And so they are really trying to be more relevant for smaller communities. Um, and it's a good place to start. I think also just to say that it is complicated and scary to try to find resources for people, especially in a rural area like this, because there is a workforce shortage in Maine, all of Maine, but especially in these rural areas. You know, sometimes it helps to have um, an advocate or a partner or a friend just help you go through the options. A lot of doctor's offices, especially through the Northern Light Health System, have social workers or discharge planners or whatever their title is can help you at least identify a place to start looking. And then some organizations um, like ours or like Eastern Area Agents on Aging, as Joe says, um, can help people go through the options if you're facing a, a hard decision like home care or institutional care for a family member or someone and there are resources and they're sometimes overlapping and they're sometimes hard to navigate, but um, be persistent would be my one piece of advice is be persistent and keep calling and be a squeaky wheel because um, it's not always totally obvious um, that you're going to get exactly what you need the first time you call. Another thing you can do, um, a simple thing, is go through if someone, usually a physician has contacts with a social worker. That's another place to start. I think that sometimes, like Ann says, it can be really overwhelming trying to figure out all these different things that you've never thought of before. A lot of people think that 
when that time comes, they're going to be just able to access some kind of a nursing home. It's a really difficult uh, situation when you realize that that's not so easy. Another thing that's going on now is it's very difficult to find in-home help. So, you know, you just have to, if you can find, like Mr. Rogers' mother said, look for the helpers, see if you can find somebody to help you sort of navigate some of that. And there are people out there. Yeah, I would say if you're in Deer Isle Stonington, uh, talk first with your healthcare provider. If they need additional someone to talk to, talk it through, they can call me at Healthy Island Project. Um, we're, we're focused enough just, you know, we're small enough to just be focused on Deer Isle Stonington. So I, I doubt I'm going to be inundated by, by saying that. But um, at least I can then, you know, direct people maybe to some other resources. So feel free to call me. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, we are nearing the end of our hour together. But if our listeners want to access your services or want to volunteer at your organization, can you let them know how they would do that? And of course, all of this information will be in the show notes as well. For Healthy Island Project, they can email me at healthyislandproject at gmail.com. They can get me through our website, which is healthyislandproject.org, or they can call me at 207 367-6332. And for Healthy Peninsula, they can find us online at healthypeninsula.org. Call us at 374-3257 or they can email us at info at healthypeninsula.org and that will eventually come to me um, and we can help them figure out what services they need. We also have a website, Friends in Action uh, ellsworth.org and info at friendsinactionellsworth.org and 664-6016. Um, we're very happy to help any way we can. And we, of course, really love volunteers. <laughs> Thank you so much to Ann Schroth from Healthy Peninsula, Renee Colson-Hudson from Healthy Island Project, and Joe Cooper from Friends in Action for taking the time to talk with me today. It was truly an honor to talk to these incredible providers about their very important work, keeping our elder community members healthy and safe. This is WERU Community Radio, 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first full-length program of Community Wellness Watch, a program about public health. Again, my name is Emma Weiss, WERU intern and your Community Wellness Watch host. Stay tuned for monthly programs talking with healthcare providers about how they have adjusted their practices throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and how they continue to keep our communities safe. Information on next month's program will be on WERU.org soon. Thanks again to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Stay well, everyone.